0: Hello, welcome to Motherhood Out Loud, a safe place for mothers to talk openly about their experiences without fear of judgment or shame.
1: Our hope is for women to realize that we're not alone in the variety of emotions we feel and that we're able to provide a more loving community for future moms. Let's, Let's take, take our, our power, power back and, and live motherhood, motherhood Out Loud. With Carla
0: and Cindy. Hi guys, welcome back to our podcast. So today we have a special guest with us. She is an LD nurse, so it's gonna be really fun to talk to her about her job and everything that she knows. So hi, how are you? Hi, Cindy. That's our Hello, hi. welcome. So first, will you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Like maybe nothing to do with nursing. Oh no. <laughs> okay. Uh, or with nursing, whatever you want. Well, I don't know what to say.
2: This is like a really hard question. It's like the first interview question they ask you. Tell me about yourself I and mean, you don't know what to say. But, um, <laughs> well, I'm 25. I was born and raised here in El Paso. Um, I, I'm i just going to go into nursing. <laughs> I, I, yeah. went, I graduated from high school and then I went straight to college and did my nursing program at UTEP. I graduated in May 2018 and then I've been a nurse for four years now. Um, two years were spent as a staff nurse here in El Paso doing a new grad residency. And then I started doing travel and I've been doing that for the last year. And now I'm just uh-huh. at home. I just got a new house and that's what I've been oh, doing. I'm a off assignment and so that's what I've been doing lately.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Congratulations on your new house. Thank you. <laughs> and how, did you always know you wanted to be a nurse and then did you always know you wanted to work in labor and delivery?
2: Mm, no, I didn't know that I wanted to be a nurse. I went into school thinking of doing something medical. So initially I had in mind doing pharmacy school. Um, the, reason you I should have. Just <laughs> the reason I didn't go into it is because at the time, there wasn't a pharmacy school in El Paso.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
2: and there was supposed to be one opening up a year later. But I was like, nah, I'm not going to wait for a year. I just want to like get into something. And then I ended up going into nursing. I didn't know what I was going to do when I chose to go into nursing, but when I when when I decided, when we started doing like clinicals and, and starting going to all those areas, I knew the first day that I did my L&D location rotation that I wanted to do labor and delivery.
0: And what what made you like what did you see that made you want to do it?
2: I don't even know. I, it was a triage patient. Like that's all I remember is that first day was a triage and I got to see a C-section. But the the one that gave me the confirmation, this is what I want to do was a triage patient because she had come in and she wasn't like someone that was screaming, you know, she was just like calm and in the triage bed. And the resident came in, she checked her and I thought she was so cool, like going in and and being able to do that, like being able to tell what's going Mm -hmm. on. And she was in active labor. She was like seven centimeters or eight centimeters. And like right away, you know, the nurses start to move because you're already very close to delivery. So they started rushing her over to a labor room and I ended up being able to follow her because that's something, like, with, with nursing, you end up just, with the rotation, you just stick with the area that you're in. So since that day mm-hmm. I was triage. I wasn't supposed to go to the actual delivery, but I mm-hmm. was able to go and follow her onto the delivery section. Yeah, she was super quick, but I, I don't know, like helping her through it. It was in, like a quick adrenaline rush and so I think that's the reason I ended up really liking it and since that day I was like, yes, this is what I want to do.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. And then when you went to actually like get hired and you started your training on the D 4 how was that experience and how did you, like how were the nurses, um, what were their views on like birth at that point and how did that impact you? Well,
2: when I was, training like actually training I don't Mm -hmm. think they're really focused on what their views were or like Mm -hmm. actual because at at that moment you're just trying to learn like what am I supposed to do how do I call the doctor how do I do this how do I start an IV so I wasn't really focused on that I don't think I really started paying attention to that side of it until I got more comfortable and as being a nurse So that was probably not until, like, half a year or eight months, eight months in, like, when I started actually knowing what I was doing comfortably, you know. Um, um, As far as the other nurses, I remember seeing one specific nurse that was always, like, going against doctors because they were always like, oh, you have a big baby, you know, and trying Mm -hmm. to do a C-section. And I remember one specific one specific nurse that would always root for them to have like a vaginal delivery when they wanted to, um, and that was during my training that I saw too. So, yeah.
0: And so when you're when you're training, I know initially I guess you know I understand when now that I'm thinking about when I was training, you are focused on like the tasks of being a nurse more than you know trying to learn how to start an IV and all of that stuff. Um, did you were do you think it was very like every patient gets treated like kind of like almost like if it's in a factory, right? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, they walk in, we do this, 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 this. If they're at this point, we do this. If they're at this point, we do that. Or do you think there was like a lot of like, well, everyone's different let's take into consideration this or that, or does it just depend on the doctor? Do the nurses not have a lot of say on that?
2: Um, this is like when I already know what's going on, right? Yeah, <laughs> you can take it when you're in your When, on. when I understood what was going on, you, I think I really had to know which doctor I was dealing with because there were mm. certain doctors that immediately would be like, no, it's a risk of labor or immediately let's grab the ultrasound, let's get an estimated fetal weight and then mm. put it towards that route. So it definitely, I think the majority had to be with the physician that we're dealing with, because there were some doctors that were really good and follow guidelines. And then there were others that were kind of used to old school ways of and not being very patient, I guess.
0: And then were you, do you see yourself like advocating for patients or is it kind of hard? Because at the same time, I think what people don't understand is that it gets a little, like, sticky for nurses to advocate. I mean, I know we're supposed to, but when we're working with a doctor that you're going to be, like, the patient might not see them again, but you're going to see them again
2: mm-hmm.
0: and again and yeah. again. So, like, if you already, if you kind of rub the doctor the wrong way, like, if you're telling, if you're really fighting against something, which we should be allowed to do, like, mm-hmm. in, in theory, in, like, a, you know, a very, like, perfect universe we'd be able to advocate and nobody would say anything but Mm -hmm. in this case right like doctors we work with them so if we if we rub them the wrong way they can really retaliate in a way when we work with them again because we're going to work with them again so Mm -hmm. do you find it hard to like really when you see something going a way that maybe the patient doesn't want to and maybe it's not for a good reason do you find it hard to kind of guide them to like speak up for themselves or do you kind of just like hope for the best?
2: Yeah. Um, so in the beginning, like when I first started doing labor and delivery, it was really hard for me to be able to say something. Um, mm. And usually like whenever I did find something wrong, I would go to my charge. Like that's the first thing I would do in my charge would be a little bit more courageous and be able to say something um but now like since i started travel nursing i've learned new things from different providers from my different locations so Mm -hmm. i think like when i started here everything is very similar like where everything's really quick but the other locations where i've seen it's very focused on what the mom wants and or what the family wants you know it's they support what they want to do. Whereas over here in El Paso, like I see that it's more of like what what their plan is gonna be. But what I've tried try to do since I've like gotten better, I guess, in my experience, is I try to educate them, educate the patients ahead of time. So like if they I, I'll tell mm-hmm. them like if they try to say this, like that's not true, you can actually do this. And we're not gonna be doing anything that you don't want us to. If they say that it's time to break your water. We haven't, you haven't progressed. And it's, you know, we've got to get things moving, but they're not for it. I tell them like, that's not something that we have to follow because at the end of the day, we're not going to do anything that you tell us no to. Like that's, that's at the end of liability Mm -hmm. on our part to be doing something that they're not against, that they're not comfortable with. And I think that's the part where most patients don't feel comfortable with. Like, I think, and it's understandable because you're on that side, you're in that side of, of, like you're admitted you're not comfortable at all being in a hospital even if it's something that you're expecting you're expecting to be delivering at some point so I can get where you're not feeling confident enough to speak up but I want to remind them ahead of time before anything even happens that that is Mm. an option for them to do
0: yeah I think that's that's really great that you're that you've learned to do that and I think People don't understand what it's like to be a nurse. And I think sometimes if you were to tell me, like, I haven't learned to advocate, it's because it's really hard. I think that's also what people don't realize um, because we work for the hospital. So I think that's why, like, not to plug doulas, but I think doulas are important because we don't work for the hospital. And it's a different position where the nurse works for them because there are certain things that you really feel like you have to do. Because you have to walk in the next day. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm saying? And it's hard. Right. It, people can make things very uncomfortable. And I mean, I've been a nurse for seven, like working for seven years. And even then, like there were still people that I, or doctors I would deal with that I was like, ugh, like, yeah. I, do I really want to make a big deal about this? Yeah, Like you even think because you know what the other side of making a big deal of it is. So mm-hmm. I think it's good that you found a way to kind of prep them ahead without really being like, your doctor's a big jerk. <laughs> like It's going to
2: be like And I will you know. say that I, I'll I'll try to do that whether it's a really good doctor or if it's a really bad mm-hmm. doctor. Like regardless, like I'll try to tell them that. And like I guess that kind of like saves my own butt a little bit from having to do that confrontation with the doctor when something has to be said, you know, because then they kind of take care of like most of the things themselves, you know, like, no, I don't right. want to do this, you know, so I'm like, oh, thank <laughs> like, like, you. She remembered <laughs> I remember yeah. what I said earlier. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think that's also people don't realize like we can't as nurses, you can't really, I mean, I guess you can, but it's really going to make your life harder. And I mean, we should be able to without fear, but to kind of be like that doctor's bad, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever, because and then at, is it very productive at that point? Probably not because they're already in labor. So it's like, okay, you've been with this doctor for 40 weeks and I'm going to tell you right now that they're really bad. <laughs> like what does it really do for anyone? Because yeah. now they're going to be like, oh, crap, like they're really bad. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think that's really cool that you, you try to kind of tell them how things are going to go and the things that they're going to be offered before it happens. That way they know what they can say no to. I think they, that people don't realize that you can say no. And Mm -hmm. you can say, I don't want to do that. And I think it's easy for, I think some nurses get dramatic about it from what I've seen. Like they don't like to be told no. But to me, it's like, I know all you have to do to like wash your hands of all of this Mm -hmm. is just write a note that says, (laughs) declined the intervention. And if anything were to happen, they could read your note where you put, they declined the intervention Mm -hmm. and that's it. I mean, it's really not that big of a deal. And what Mm -hmm. did you mean by in El Paso, things are quick.
2: Well, I, I don't. I don't want to bash on El Paso because, obviously, especially because most of your audience is from El Paso, you know, and this is where likely they're going to be delivering and stuff. Um, but from what I've seen in other travel assignments, it's, or there's midwives on the unit, so that's like automatically, I think, a bonus because I think they have the nursing side of view. Most of them have the nursing side of view. and. Um, they're more supportive of whatever the patient wants to do. I don't think mm-hmm. there's enough education here in general of what to expect during labor or like even the anatomy, of, like the female anatomy. Like I don't think a lot of women are very well educated on that, on that mm-hmm. side of it. Um, so whenever someone comes up and they tell you like this is the way it's going to go, most people don't question it. You know, and it kind of yes. because like you're supposed to be relying on these providers to tell you what's best, but they'll only tell you one side of it. You don't know the other. So here I think it's so one of the hospitals that I worked at was almost double the size of the hospitals here. Hmm. And it had the same amount of deliveries as here, like the average amount of yeah. deliveries as, as here in El Paso with have with double the room so i couldn't understand like how does how does that make sense to like it had more operating rooms it had more new labor rooms more delivery more triage but they had the same amount of rooms that i realized is because these patients and the other location where i was at were given two days to be able to start their labor and finish it and mm-hmm. here it's very quick it's like if, you, if you're not moving on from from eight centimeters to nine centimeters in the next 30 minutes, then, you know, it's a rest of labor. Or you need to be making these changes between this amount of time. And if it's not, well, then we got to do a section. So I kind of noticed that kind of thing where they're, they're not given much time. And it's not whenever they do successfully deliver vaginally, it's with a bunch of meds that that it's happening through, you know, it's not something that they're given the option to do like a bathtub or walk around the unit and be on wireless monitoring and be intermittent monitoring. Um, we don't have to rupture mm-hmm. your membranes yet, you know, whereas here I think it's very scheduled like three centimeter, you're admitted for induction, three centimeters is rupture of membranes, you start pitocin and keep it titrating, titrating, titrating and have them delivered by six hours after that. You know? And and if it doesn't happen, we're considering the backup option so I think that's kind of how it is over here and it's not to say that every physician is like the majority of it I think is
1: so I was going to ask you because I I did have a hospital delivery here in El Paso and a lot of me choosing the hospital I opted to deliver was me going to tour the facility and having an idea that I wanted a very as natural as possible birth that I wanted to be mobile that I did not want an epidural that I didn't want any pitocin like I had these ideas and I remember speaking to the nurses that were giving me the and I call it hospital orientation because that's really what it was <laughs> they were just giving me their practices and I do remember clearly like can I walk around when I'm in my room I understand if I'm on triage I can't walk but when I'm giving my room can I walk and automatically was like no and I'm like, and hearing you say that in other places, like they made it seem like that was the law, the nation law, you don't walk around in your room. But you say that in other places they're allowed to even just walk. Like I understand that we don't have a tub to get in in the water, but like to walk in your own room. And I was like, no, well, you're going to be hooked up already. You're going to have an IV for fluids. Like, no, well, why would you want to walk around? And I'm like, wait, what? They do it over? and they do it in other places?
2: It, it is, and... When I started going to other places, it was hard for me to grasp for that. It was hard for me to say, what? like You're going to take them off the monitor? What? You're not going to mm-hmm. have them on e-fluids? What? You're going to let them walk when they're ruptured? It was really hard for me to be able to transition to that because it's what I was used to here. Um, I know one of the hospitals does have wireless monitoring, but it's, it's the type of monitoring that it has, unfortunately, is not the best type. Um, and and that's not the hospital's fault. Like it's, it's just the manufacturer, like, it's the one that was created. So that's, there is options for wireless monitoring and be able to be walking around. But unfortunately, it's not
0: here. Why don't they allow people to walk around in El Paso? Um, do you know? Is there, like, a rationale or is well, it just a control thing?
2: No, it's, it's because of the monitoring. Like, they're, hmm. most of them here don't do intermittent. Like, that means that, oh, we just started your induction. You're going to be sitting here. Um, but you have to be on continuous monitoring, like your baby monitor has to be on and your contraction monitor has to be on the whole time. And because the El Paso doesn't supply a wireless monitoring, you have to be hooked up to the to the cables in the in the machine. So you don't have a lot of a lot of um, what's it called, like space
0: to walk around, you know. And when you document and stuff, like I know you have to do your strips, um, like monitoring the baby and everything. Is it, be, is it required like at a certain amount of time that like every two hours or it, it just really has to be continuous for your documentation?
2: Um, no, it doesn't I, have I, to be. You have to get a doctor's order if mm-hmm. you want it to be intermittent. But if you're on Pitocin, like that's, you you have to have continuous the monitoring. Monitor. But other than, like if they don't want to be, then I think... It'd be best to just discontinue Pitocin to begin with because that's a high risk med. So you wouldn't want to be giving it blindly um, mm-hmm. at the rate that we give it. Um, like I, I don't think I would comfortably do that. Um, right. If the doctor was okay with it, I don't think I would comfortably do that. Um, but when I think about moms that are laboring naturally and they're in the late and early phase of labor, I don't think it's necessary. And that's something that I, again, like I learned, I had my suspicions of it when I was new in my first few years. I had my suspicions of it. Like, is it really necessary to be, you know, 20 hours of monitoring when we're not, we're not in active labor yet. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was confirmed when I traveled (laughs) that it wasn't necessary.
0: (laughs) But you hear you were just following like the culture in El Paso, which is like monitor continuous, at least where you've worked monitor Mm -hmm. continuously and the doctors aren't very, um, willing to let that go, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And I
2: think it's for the same reason, like the reason I was scared to be doing this stuff when I started my first travel, you know? And and I think if everyone just kind of went into the areas where that's the norm, then more people would feel comfortable with it. Not just the nurses and the physicians too. If they started their practice somewhere else, they would see how normal it is and wouldn't be so paranoid to not do it, you know?
0: Right, yeah, I think... And I think as nurses too, like our personalities, like we like data, we like, just because that's how we're trained, like, and it's hard to let go of certain things. Like, you know, even me, like when I worked in ICU, like patients getting out of their bed, like sometimes it was just hard for me to like let control go, right? Because it's like their kid fall mm-hmm. or like I need to take an hour to help them out of bed and I have other patients that need, so it's like we just like to control our environment and it's hard when, when the mom just kind of wants to go about their own way. And you're like, you're like, wait, what if something happens? You know? So yeah. I, I, I can understand that from, from a nurse's point of view. um, And it was natural, like unmedicated, I guess unmedicated is the worst word in El Paso. Did you see a lot of unmedicated births or not really?
2: No, not really. And Whenever I did, I would freak out with them (laughs) because it was something that I'm not completely used to, you know. Most of Mm -hmm. them get their epidural and, and yeah, they're like quiet deliveries, you know. And then when I would see the occasional non-medicated one and screaming at the top of their lungs, I'd be like, no. (laughs) Screaming
0: with them. (laughs) You're like, we can do this, I promise. And would you say on... you see, like w- a lot of C sections in El Paso. Like, do a lot of births end in C section, or you just see more like intervention, intervention, but not C section.
2: Mm, well, I don't. I don't know. Like, it's, I kind of go back and forth with it. I just think that here it's not. It, it, they rarely go with the preferences that the mom want. Like how Carla just mm. said, like I want to walk around and and do this like that. That just won't happen. So, I don't think, I don't know how the rates are in El Paso for C-section, but what I'm trying to say is that, like, they won't support exactly what you had in plan, in mind. Like, if you had a birth Mm. plan, it's likely not going to go through. That's what I think.
0: Mm. And when they bring their birth plans, like, do you guys actually look at them? I'm sure you guys probably do, maybe not the doctors.
2: Yeah, yeah, we'll look at them. And most of the time, it's things that are standard. Right. like they'll say, like, I don't want an episiotomy when that's when they cut like and, and that's usually that's a standard thing, like most mm-hmm. won't do it unless it's an emergency, you know? And so or skin to skin the first hour, like that's become a standard. Um
0: mm-hmm.
2: when there's things like in, in El Paso, like when I was here, doula's like I was like, oh like what's a doula <laughs> you know <laughs> Um, and I forgot what the question
0: was. <laughs> I'm like, I got, I got distracted too with yeah, I what got you were so saying. The
2: birth yeah, plans. the birth plans. We look yes. At yes, we do look
0: at them. Um, and, and yeah. have you had to, like, how do you navigate with a family or like whoever's there with support for the person that's in labor? Like, do you... Has that been an issue for you? Because I know I know families in general can be a little bit difficult, especially like personalities, dynamics within like the family. Mm-hmm. Or how do you just like keep them calm? Like if dad's like really nervous or.
2: Um, I try to keep them as involved as a mom. Like luckily I haven't had any. No, I have. But not many um, like instances where there's been trouble like with the family. Um, but I try to talk to them and keep them as involved as much as a mom. Like, like I teach them at the same time that I'm teaching the mom. So I, I will mm. keep them to the side and I try to keep them as involved as they, as they can. Cause I, I think about like, if there were any of us, you know, like if, if I'm the family member, I want to know what's going on as much as I can. Right. You know? And there's, that's, that's what I think. Um, there's only been a couple of times where I've had trouble with
0: family, but it's nothing crazy either. Nothing. Yeah, I think maybe where where I worked, ICU is a little more... Because usually LND is like a happy time. Yeah. And ICU is usually a a sad time. So you're not...
2: Yeah. It's not the
0: same emotions. Um, And I was going to ask you, so like, okay, so say I'm pregnant. I walk into a hospital in El Paso. You're my nurse. (laughs) In triage, I guess, is where I would go, right? Mm -hmm. So what would happen... As I walk in, just take me as like, it doesn't matter. The doctor just kind of like general, what would happen?
2: Okay. What would happen? So you would first say what the reason, if you're coming in as a triage, you're coming in like on your own. Um, Mm -hmm. So you would tell us like what's going on. Um, So say the reason you're coming in is because you are having contractions and you're 32 weeks pregnant. So... Mm -hmm. You would get dressed, you would get hooked up to the monitors. That's the very first thing when we put you on the monitors. Um, and then I'd start my admitting assessment. So the basics that anyone has to know, like let's say you're going in for precipitous labor. The basics that we have to know is are you receiving prenatal care? How many pregnancies, is what number of pregnancies is this for you? Have you had any deliveries in the past? What type of deliveries has it been? Um, if you've had prenatal care, I don't know if I asked that who mm-hmm. your doctor is, um, how many weeks you are, and any complications in the pregnancy. Like that's if we don't get anything out, and if we can't get anything out, like that's really all we have to know. It's just um, that's the bare minimum. But um,
0: and at this point, she the person's alone, right? There's nobody allowed with them in triage,
2: um, or well, it depends. We, no like i think most places are allowing one person now okay um, before covid i can't remember how many were allowed i can't remember okay. how many were allowed in before but now i think one or two is fine in tri- okay. depending where you're at um but you would be getting the the assessment if you're coming up for contractions and you're let's say 32 weeks that's a gestational age where I'm comfortable doing a cervical exam. Um, mm-hmm. I would check to see if we were dilated um, and then call a doctor and tell them this is Cynthia Manchas. She's 32 weeks. This is her first pregnancy coming in for contractions that start at 5 in the morning. No vaginal bleeding. She's 2 centimeters dilated and she's contracting every 3 minutes. Her baby is looking good on the monitors.
0: And At what point would you like say they were already term and like two centimeters dilated, do you keep them or do you just tell them, no? Oh, you, sh- you should go home and come back when things get a little more intense?
2: Um, I would prefer that they go home because two centimeters is still early. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people have the idea that like oh, I'm having contractions and I'm going to go into labor in the next 30 minutes and I'm going to have my baby in an hour. But really like that's very early labor and that could take days to move out of. Um, Mm -hmm. Some doctors will give them the option and it will tell them that like you're still very early labor. If you're two centimeters and you're not progressing after two hours, then the option would be to give you meds. Other than that, I think it's best to go home and labor on your own, you know, and Mm -hmm. where you're comfortable at. Um, Because over here, you're just going to be stuck in bed on monitors the whole time, you know.
0: So if you're still like early and like say they do it, you do opt to get admitted they won't really wait very long to try to like, they'll start to try to get it to go more, I guess, like Mm -hmm. go faster. Mm -hmm. They won't tell you like, oh, we'll wait a day. And if things haven't picked up.
2: Mm -hmm. No, um, but I think that's why it's important for either the doctor or the nurse who is first up to the patient because they don't know, like the majority don't know how long it can take. So that's why I say it's better for you to be at home because if you don't want medications, and you haven't progressed in these last two hours, it's probably gonna take another day, you know? Mm-hmm. So unless you are feeling a lot of pain and your plan is to have meds for that, like you wanna get IV meds or you wanna get a epidural and that's the that's reason that you wanna stay, well then stay. But if your goal is to do everything unmedicated, I would say like the best thing is to do it at home because you're not gonna be comfortable at the hospital.
0: Right. And then the the policies here, like, I mean, this is obviously for everyone listening, this is just based on (laughs) his experience in the hospitals that she's worked at. So we're not going to disclose that information. It's just based on that. So it's not like all of El Paso because she has not worked at, every hospital in el paso but it's just Mm -hmm. based on what she knows and so where you've worked like how what's the protocol like for cervical checks? and i know you were saying that a lot of uh, doctors like at about three centimeters want water to be broken and stuff like that is that accurate um that's what i well i
2: don't
0: from your experience and this is like not
2: Um, it's different everywhere and and no like everywhere is not three centimeters we break the water it's it's not like that everywhere What I, what I've learned through travel is how unnecessary cervical exams actually are. Like, Mm -hmm. um, when I, when I started, I thought it was like every two hours, every three hours, depending on which, whether you were early labor or active labor. That was how it depended, how often your exams were. Mm -hmm. But as I traveled, I realized, why do we need to be doing these exams? Like, if it's going to be early labor, you're not going to be delivering In the next two hours unlikely that you deliver in the next two hours so why repeat an exam you know um so that's what i've learned is it's really not necessary to be doing cervical exams unless you're curious of what's going on or there's Mm. um like you're i would say like if if the mom wants to know then i won't i won't be against Mm. doing an exam i will if it's super frequent like uh, that's really Mm. unnecessary like if you want to know every 30 minutes that's like you're not gonna know anything different from the last exam. Um, right. or unless you're telling me you need a push, then that's a reason to different. check. And then a third one would be if the baby's not doing doing good on the monitor, then I wouldn't want to know what's going on at that point.
0: Hmm. And what's the biggest difference that you've learned um, from trap like the travel assignments and being here, like in terms of the process? I mean, you saw a lot more unmedicated births, right, outside of El Paso?
2: Yeah.
0: Did you still freak out when you saw them?
2: No, I mean, when I first... when I like, first? first. Like, yes. <laughs> yes, I was like... <laughs> I remember there was a patient that was seven centimeters, something like that. She had just walked in and she didn't have an IV. And what I'm used to is that's the first thing, like, you need to get an IV on them. And I remember it was like change a shift and she had been there for an hour or two and she didn't have an IV. I was like she's she doesn't have an epidural. She needs an IV. She doesn't have an epidural. But um yeah, she it's it's it hard for it was really hard for me to get used to that. Um
0: so they won't even put an I V?
2: No, they they will, but it's just not as it, it's not as scary. <laughs> it's I not know, as they scary have as, as, I, room. as I was trained. <laughs> it was. Like, that's, that's what I think. <laughs> it, everything like, was just so scary here. Like, mm-hmm. like you can't, she's off the monitor for two minutes. You have to get them back on. She's walking and she's ruptured. She's going to have a cord prolapse. You have to get her off, like, you have to get her back in bed. She doesn't have an IV. Oh my gosh, she doesn't have an epidural. That sort of stuff. But everything seems so scary.
0: <laughs> and would I mean, like those fears that you guys have, like, for example, like the water being broken and walking around and fear of like a cord prolapse, like do any of those things ever really happen? Like, and I know that they do, but like, I feel like there's a lot of fear. But mm-hmm. does it like come equally as often as you're fearful, I guess? No. Right. It's pretty rare. It's not like no. the baby's just going to like slide out.
2: Yeah, you could ask a nurse of 30 years how many cord prolapses they've had, and they could say, I've never had a cord prolapse. Like, right. Um, so it's
0: like it's, you're fearing all these things, but like that are still the reality is that they don't happen yeah. often,
2: if yeah. at all. It's,
0: it's, yeah. Wow. And then, so I've heard like people say, you don't, you know, you refuse the IV. Um, they don't need it like a really good nurse in case of an emergency could put an IV really fast what do you think about that because mm. I'm like it depends on what nurses are there <laughs>
2: I'm
0: Like maybe there's nobody that can put it fast <laughs> yeah, I'm like in case of an emergency if all of us suck at putting IVs girl this is not the time you know what I mean this is not the unit that you want the chance that on yeah.
2: No. no, that's not what I think. Um Well, anywhere that I've been, it's there's always been an IV in place. Um, okay, but it hasn't been used. Like it's just there. I that That's okay. what i That's what I've seen. Um, I guess I guess there isn't really a point in having one until you're like an active labor. But the thing about that is too is that for the nurse, it's a little bit harder just because if you're in active labor and and. You know you're unmedicated, and you know it's gonna be hard to keep you still to get a a needle stuck. But right. But I mean, that's the nurse's that's the nurse's problem, you know.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> um,
2: but I, I guess it's you could go on to active labor and be fine. Um, I've never been in a delivery or any job where pitocin hasn't been given postpartum, so I don't know what that's hmm. like. Because um, that's. first thing that we'll do as soon as placenta is born we bolus pitocin like we give pitocin right away so I wouldn't And that's
0: been everywhere Mm -hmm. and um so we did have a few questions like about people wondering your stance on VBACs and if you've seen a lot of VBACs um in El Paso I guess particularly I don't know if you have or when you left if it was more of a common thing
2: Um, In El Paso, there was, it it depended on the physician. There were physicians that would do them regularly, and there were others that would never. Um, but I was real scared of VFACs also, and and until I started traveling, I started seeing how common it, it's it's more common outside of here than than it is here. I think you have to be with the right physician here to be able to have that as an option. Um, and gives you a chance because there's some that will be like, yeah, we could be back. And then you be back for two, three hours and then that's it. You know, so an an emergency. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, But I I think with certain physicians, you you will be able to have that. And it's not as scary as what a lot of physicians make it seem like. Like The the
0: big fear is the uterine rupture, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And and have you
0: seen a uterine rupture?
2: no uh there was one when I first started training but I wasn't I wasn't there and I just heard of it and and I barely knew what that was too when I started right so. you're like how oh, interesting <laughs> yeah so I'm like oh my gosh that was yeah <laughs> um, yeah no, I've never uh, there's one in like the four years that I've been at there's been one and it wasn't uh like someone that they was a feedback it was just happened wow mm-hmm.
0: that's interesting and then, so would you consider El Paso V back friendly, like in general, or not really? Like, do you feel like you have to really fight for a V back here? You think?
2: Mm. I don't. I don't think so. If you're with the right positions, there's a few positions that I know wouldn't question it and would let you do it. But a lot of them, well, I don't think a lot of them really offer it, or will right. scare you out of it. But if you're with the right position, they'll without question
0: do it you just have to find the right one
2: yeah
0: <laughs> um and how has the the pandemic changed the atmosphere like in lnd did it change it a lot um, or was it just more visitors that were limited
2: yeah, that's that's really the only thing is the visitors i wasn't a nurse for long before the pandemic i think i was a nurse for
0: like two years right yeah a year and a half
2: a year and a half um and remember there would be lots of family. Like, that's really all I can remember. There would be lots of family members. All the nephews and the cousins and the nieces. And everyone. And the uncles and the grandmas. And everyone would be there.
0: <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. But
2: I never had, like, an issue with, with the family being there. Um, And then post-pandemic, it was just limited visitors.
0: And how do, how do you feel about C-sections? Like, are they as complication, I guess, free? Because sometimes they they make it seem like that's kind of the safer option. And I'm sure that, you know, I always, there's room where there's emergency and it is the safer option.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But, I mean, have you seen a lot of things happen in C-sections that are also like dangerous or, or you know, outcomes that are not great, I guess?
2: Um, well, the biggest difference between them is the blood loss that you get. It's usually, it has a, between a vaginal delivery and a C-section, you have double, um, like what's considered normal blood loss. So as a vaginal delivery, greater than 500 milliliters would be considered a hemorrhage, whereas a C-section greater than a liter would be considered a, a hemorrhage. So that's the biggest difference. Um, I think the biggest risk factors or the co- most common factors would be the infection, and that would be at the site of incision. And pain control is like the biggest thing about it.
0: hmm And then do you do you get any breastfeeding training as an L and D nurse? Is that something that not all LND nurses are trained in or
2: uh yes. So when I started here, you get one day following the lactation consultant. Um, I don't think that's enough. I think breastfeeding is really hard, like as a labor and delivery nurse. It's yeah. really
0: hard. Awesome.
2: <laughs> um here it's, it, it's very quick. There's a, there's a nursery nurse, um, that'll, you have two nurses postpartum uh, during recovery. That's the first two hours for all your delivery. So it's a labor and delivery nurse and your baby nurse. Baby nurse is usually the one that will help with the breastfeeding. Uh, here. Mm, okay. Everywhere else, L&D nurse that I've worked at, L&D nurse is baby nurse and mom nurse.
0: So really? it, was,
2: it was hard for me to like Adjust. start, uh uh-huh, start getting used yeah. to that. and – and teaching how to do it because it, it wasn't something that I was trained to do. So I kind of learned on, on the way, like on the job site. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I guess it'd be better to kind of go with the lactation consultant if they have the, cause their training is like super, intense Um, right like they have extensive training yeah but you guys know like the basics like you know try to help with the latch and
2: yeah we know the basics but i don't know how lactation consultants do it i swear like (laughs) because i'll try to latch a baby for 30 minutes 45 minutes and if i can't i'll call lactation consultant and they'll do it in five minutes and i don't know how they do it like
0: (laughs) you're like what i swore i was doing the same thing yes
2: yes (laughs) so (laughs) Yeah. Was, and well my training isn't
0: I didn't have extensive training in breastfeeding. Right. I think So other, it's just like a minimal training and you kind of yeah. That's good to know cuz someone someone had asked. So I'm like I'm not sure what type of training they get. What's your view as a nurse on out of hospital birth?
2: It freaked me out. <laughs> yeah. Um that's okay.
0: That's I fair. Wish,
2: I I hope one day I do like work in that area or at least see a follow a midwife and get to work in that area um just to see what it's like because you know like moving from El Paso to travel that was a hard transition for me to do so i I'm, I'm more curious of what it's like outside of the hospital and i think it would make me even more comfortable to be working in labor and delivery at a hospital site um but I, I i i freak out just because you know you see the worst at the hospitals and that's kind of what I have in mind, like the worst is going to happen. But then I also have to bring myself down where it's this is a natural thing. Like people have been doing this for hundreds and hundreds of years. Hospitals were not the way to do it. You know, this is a new thing to be doing. It. So I have to remember that part of it and and consider that it's, it's not scary. <laughs> I have to remind <laughs> myself it's not scary.
0: <laughs> no, I think I, I'm glad. I mean, you're being honest. So, I mean, not everyone is you know, super comfortable with it. And that's, that's fine. I I think we need to respect everyone's like viewpoint. Someone asked if there's ever been a time that you regretted not intervening or advocating for a patient.
2: Um, one of them comes up to my mind, but I'm pretty sure there's been other instances too. But one of them that comes up in my mind is someone that really didn't want to be induced. And it was a, a, they, they turned it into a medical reason for her injection. Like she had come in as a triage and, um, it was her blood pressure being high, but then all the rest that followed throughout the night and the morning were completely normal and her labs came back normal. And she wasn't my patient either. Um, but I went in to, as a cover, like a break nurse, and I went in and told her, like, we, the same thing as how usually you do, like, you don't have to do anything that, like, you're not comfortable with and, you know, and, we don't have to induce you. You don't have to stay. Um, but she ended up getting induced. And she was like, I think, 36 hours. And then she went into, I think she was already pushing. And then she turned into a C-section. So mm-hmm. I I think about that one patient and how I'm like, man, like, it wasn't even necessary. She was like 37 weeks. So it's going to be really hard to induce someone that early or 36 or 37. So she was early on and it's going to be really hard for her to, you know, ripen her cervix and dilate and do whatever when you're still early on in in your pregnancy. So I think it was kind of like a setup for failure for her and it was the complete opposite of what she wanted, you know. So I think about her.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that sucks. That's a sucky situation, and I'm sure it happens often, you know? because and, and it's not their fault. I think maybe they end up feeling guilty at the end, but mm. they were just not, like, taking the right steps, but it wasn't their fault. Yeah. Um. And then just to end things, what are your top, like, three tips for someone that's going to deliver in a hospital in El Paso that wants to have the least interventions possible?
2: Um, uh, In El Paso um i would say like, learn learn about latent phase and active phase how how much time is actually given into each one of those following ACOG guidelines, and not to say to follow those strictly but um
0: I have expect an idea.
2: your zero to six centimeters to take hours and hours and hours even even a couple of days and then active phase which is six to ten centimeters that's they say expect change, uh, one centimeter per, per hour of change. Um, six centimeters, an hour later, seven, an hour later, eight, um, and so on. So n- know that part of it. And if someone tries to tell you that you haven't progressed in labor, as long as there are no complications with your baby or you, like there's no fever and your baby's not, not, um, like the heart rate's not doing bad and things like that. There is no set time for how long your labor can go to. So as long as you're okay with going, let's say 30 hours into your labor, as long as you're okay with it, you can keep going that way. And it's gonna be a really hard thing to fight for, but there's nothing wrong with it. Um, You can walk with your water broken. And if your nurse doesn't wanna let you walk because they're scared like I was, keep doing it, and the only thing the nurse is going to do is say that you've and There's nothing wrong with it. Like, there's nothing to be fearful with that. Um, your IV fluids, um, you could, if they're adamant about having, like, an IV, which is something that I've always seen no matter where I've been at, um, you could have it head-blocked, which means you don't actually have any IV fluids running as long as you're staying hydrated yourself. Food, you don't have to be starved. <laughs> you can eat as much as you want um usually here um they, they won't let you eat once you're on pitocin like i think or actually like in, in a lot of places but um you can eat the most where i see it where you can no longer eat is if you get an epidural then anesthesia takes over mm-hmm. and, and they'll tell you to be like unclear. Uh, which is like jealous and stuff, but other than that, you can need as much as you want. Learn the faces of labor too is and it was something I always tell my patients is to picture their cervix to be like a straw. So if they're getting induced, um, the first thing that has to happen is the straw has to get shorter. So that, that's the effacement part of it. Um, and you have to get to 100% and basically the straw disappears. The straw has to open up to be 10 centimeters wide in order for you to be ready to start pushing. And the very last thing that happens is um, the station. So you could be 10 centimeters, 100% effaced, but your baby's head is still really high up above your pelvic bones. Um, There's minus three, minus two, minus one, which means they're above your pelvic bones. Zero station means they're between. And then plus one, plus two, plus three is when they're past the pelvic bones. That's usually the last thing that happens and can take hours, so if you're a first-time mom and you're 10 centimeters, 100%, and you're minus two, don't let your doctor or your midwife or whoever tell you to start pushing at that point. If you have an epidural, if you have an epidural, like, at that point, like, it's, it's different. If, if you want to, if you want to, well, then go ahead. But it's going to take a – it could take a really long time, and that's going to drain you. If you are unmedicated, then please push. Like, I know that's one of the most relieving things is when you do start pushing it can take a really long time but if you're if you've got an epidural you're 10 100 and high up um and your doctor wants you to start pushing it it's possible that you'll be pushing for the next four hours um so and that's really draining um yeah and then
0: they'll start to tell you that you're going to need a c-section right but a lot of it you were trying to just work the baby down so yeah it's 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 hard so i think that's important i think one of the illustrations that I've I've been told is like the lifesaver, which has also like when you uh-huh. suck on yeah. it, it yeah. starts to shrink and the hole starts to get bigger. So, uh-huh. but no, thank you so much for all. I was about to say your name. <laughs> thank you so <laughs> much for for speaking with us. And do you have any more questions, Carla?
1: No, I was just fascinated with like hearing the stories of how different it can be elsewhere. Right, like we kind of. You know, a lot of us are local, a lot of us decide to stay here and, you know, mm. our sisters, our friends, our aunts, our cousins have delivered here. And so that's kind of like the only stories and the only background we hear on how a hospital delivery can be. So I love listening from a professional perspective, what it could be somewhere else and what, you know, if another professional, another hospital is doing it a certain way, it's nice to kind of bring that perspective back home. And I hope, like, as more women are more educated about their birth and speak up more for themselves, you know, we can eventually see our daughters delivering in a whole different setting in El Paso in the future. So thank you so much for coming over with us today. It it was interesting to hear all that and, you know. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so I'm much. not a nurse i have no idea i'm i'm, I'm new to all this the only hospital experience i have is my own delivery with my daughter so i'm always fascinated to hear you guys speak about like the nursing
0: world yeah thank thank you so much okay you have a great day <laughs>